Portions of the day's programming are reproduced by means of electrical transcriptions or tape recordings. Time for School, Rock School, with your hosts, Dr. Joe Burns. And you got to wonder if people understand it as it happens or is, are these moments even noticeable until you see them in your rearview mirror? Class is in. Rock School Radio Show, broadcasting from the campus, Southeastern Louisiana University. What's your name? What are you doing here? Are you still me, here? Greg, well, I'm still, still here. here. Why? You keep coming back. I have some time. Go to work, lady. <laughs> jeez. Go, jeez. Uh, my name is Joe Burns, and I've got, once again, students in the studio. This is the fourth of four shows off of my class this semester, COM 400, The History of Rock and Roll and Its Impact on Society. And let's find out who the students are in the studio. You are what's Mary, your name? Mary Ann Surkoff. Mary Ann Surkoff, and you are? Matt Doyle. Matt Matt Doyle. Okay, Matt Doyle's got that radio voice. You're actually thinking about doing some radio and all of that? I've done a little bit of radio. A little before. bit of radio? Just a little yeah. bit. Aren't you going into the armed forces, though? Yeah, it's... <laughs> yeah. i got to get that out of my system before Yo, okay. I get a little bit older. That's fine. Good enough. But you're doing radio now, so... Mm-hmm. Marianne. Yes. What are we... By the way, loved you on Gilligan's Island. What <laughs> are we talking about today? We are talking about the warehouse. What is that? It was the venue for the New Orleans area for rock and roll. How about that? I I, I think it's closed now, though, isn't it? It is. Oh, that's too bad. But people came from everywhere, didn't they? They did. Everywhere. Even Shreveport. Yes. Shreveport, Lake Charles. Yes. And Ponchatoula. I'm I'm using these strange names because it's it's all French type stuff, you know, Mm -hmm. because if people are not from this area, it's, you know, are we going to a river? Yes, the Trifuncta. Try to spell it for a thousand points on Jeopardy. I live here and I don't think I can. no, it starts with a T. That's that's all I can give you. So the warehouse was the place. It was the rock venue. And for those who are from here, they know it. They know the story. Got a lot of people who are not from here that listen to the radio show. Start giving us the history of the warehouse. What okay. is it? Well, Bill Johnston, he was living in Chicago at the time. He had gone to New York to see some of the bars there. And he had this concept in mind to bring it back to New Orleans because we had nothing like this here. It was like house bands would play and it was just a fun place. It would be just like rock bands essentially by themselves. It wasn't a venue that had any other purpose than just playing music. Right. Right. Okay. So who played? Let's talk about it. There were a ton of bands that played, but if we're going to pick one, the first band that ever played there was... This kind of obscure, smaller, progressive rock band called The Flock, mm-hmm. um, they played their entire first set. In fact, you know we have the first song they played, but it's one of those that's just really weird and out there. So we okay. found one of their a uh, little more friendly to listen to songs from them. It's uh, Tired of Waiting. And they played a set where they opened up for The Grateful Dead and then for uh. Fleetwood Mac. And it's a funny thing about The Grateful Dead because they got busted. Right. And that first weekend that they were there, but they were still allowed to go on and play the show... They just had to deal with it afterwards. And, you know, there was a big uh, charity gathering where Fleetwood and Grateful Dead got together and played a uh, charity gig to raise law fees. And they had to pay off a lawyer to deal with this. And and if, if you're looking for a lawyer, there is no better place to call Saul than... 
the great city of <laughs> New Orleans. So, The Flock, literally in 1970, the first band to set foot on that stage professionally. Was The Flock. Fantastic. Let's play. It's The Flock right here in Rock School. Coming out of the flock, tired of waiting. Now, I have here in the notes that you have provided something about a guy named Jim Morrison. I, you know, I've never heard of Jim Morrison. <laughs> who is Jim Morrison? Uh, he was a, somewhat of an obscure lead singer for a band called The Doors. I don't know them. Yeah, he was a bit of a poet. Ah, but, uh, okay. He was, at that point, uh, pretty much self-destructing. Uh, mm-hmm. As an artist, uh, as a, unfortunately on a personal level as well, uh, I think it was about, what, five months after he played this which was his last live show ever. At the warehouse in New Orleans. At the warehouse in New right. Orleans, he dies. He dies the summer, essentially, after he plays. Right, in in France. Exactly. He, right. he just pretty much left. And when you hear the actual recording of it, and we have a clip that we can play for you right now, actually. Okay. It's, uh, it's him singing St. James Infirmary, and I think you'll really dig the lyrics for it. Yeah, let's take a listen to it. Only about, what, 20 seconds or so? 20. Sounds like this on Rock. little bit of Jim Morrison, uh, St. James Infirmary, kind of a cryptic and a little bit uh, foreshadowing him but, eventually dying later that year, and it's just such a sad story for him. But I can understand people thinking that wasn't the end, because from what I understand, you could either go see The Doors and it was horrible, or it was a religious experience. Mm-hmm. I, you know what? That's interesting. Every person I've ever asked about seeing The Doors live said it was terrible. They, they, just, they don't put on a good show. But uh, granted, I talk to musicians about these things. Sure. They don't appreciate someone coming so loaded to the stage that they can't even do their set. I mean, that's sure. Unprofessional. So at the time, I can't imagine somebody walking out and saying, well, that's it. We'll never see anything from the doors again. I'm assuming they just saw the death of that show and that was it. Surprisingly enough, there are a few guys who worked at the warehouse who, when they saw him leave that stage, they said, this is probably the last time we'll ever see him alive. Well, yeah, but that's hindsight statements. You know, well, I knew. You know, okay. Maybe. Maybe. All right, who else are we talking about? So, uh, later in that year, and also in that year, you had bands, and this was the most active year for the warehouse. They packed it in, because eventually it started becoming such a big venue that they would just book it out for more specific events and more expensive tickets. So you had Sly and the Family Stone, Albert King opening for this new band called the Allman Brothers, Uh who had this band Renaissance, which I can't believe actually played. It's like a folk music progressive band that I can't believe actually would have played this gig there, but they had him in. They had B.B. King. They had Pink Floyd, of course, fresh off of uh, Sid Barrett losing his mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jimi Hendrix canceled, dies a few months later. Oh, uh, well. 
Little, sounds like there's a a curse hanging over the warehouse. <laughs> a little bit, unfortunately. A curse hanging over New Orleans. You had Little Richard as well and Jethro Tull all playing in the first year of the warehouse. That's awesome. Right. Moving into 1971, though. Yes. The Who. The Who comes. Who comes in, and they come two months after they release Who's Next, one of the biggest albums that they would ever put out, and that mega hit, Bob O'Reilly. We actually got Bob O'Reilly. Right. And the thing is... Who's next has got that picture with you know Keith Moon with the turned around chair because nobody wanted to see the belly that he had at the time. So if you really <laughs> want to stretch it, you might actually be able to throw the warehouse onto that one. Oh, yeah. or, or am I just stretching it way too actually, far? You're not stretching it at all am because I? in the uh, re- live recording that you can hear, uh, yes, just randomly on the internet. Basically, he talks about the fact that he said, "Yo, good good night, uh, night New Orleans. Uh, I know you all are really drunk, but not as drunk as I am." Ah, maybe I maybe I found something. I've hit a vein. Ah, it's the Who, Bob O'Reilly on Rock School. Coming out of The Who, Baba O'Reilly, I should say that we talked about during the live version that uh, Keith Moon made the statement, you know, we're all drunk, but you're not as drunk as me. And then we played the studio version. The problem is pulling down live uh, audio. Matt, who's sitting next to me, attempted to grab live audio. The stuff that you get on cell phones today, it is not terrible. The recording back then just wasn't of any quality. Mm-hmm. So we don't have, I don't think you have any live audio from this, do you? Unfortunately not. They, I mean, you can hear it online, but the problem is they would essentially just run a cassette out from the board. Right. And one of the sound guys did it and he just kind of kept him for personal reasons. So afterwards, when they were doing some documentaries on the warehouse, he has this massive cache of audio that is interesting to hear in sound bites, but you really wouldn't want to have to sit through three minutes of. Right. And once you, once you take a piece of audio that is poorly recorded live, and this is what people are going to say. Well, I don't care. Just just play it. Once you take it and you run it through all of the processing that radio plays with, what happens is you get phase shift problems. If you listen to them, go to YouTube is where you found most of them. YouTube yes. and there is a website, www.blackstrat.net, has all kinds of information mm-hmm. on the warehouse. Every band that played there, exact date, and for a lot of them, the set list they played. Blackstrat.net, as in the guitar. Exactly. Excellent. Okay, move us into 1972. 1972. Well, you've got uh, the Almond Brothers, and this is an interesting thing. They essentially set up a uh, shop in the warehouse. They were, besides this one obscure random artists who we'll talk about later the most prolific band to have played at the warehouse they're there all the time because they loved new orleans mm-hmm. they loved it they loved the throwdown in the city and they actually opened that year and closed that year they opened the year with statesboro blues and closed the year with the bleu people come to the city as much to be here and now with all the taxes and such over top of it how many times oh, yeah. do you see the big acts you know come in I'll play Mississippi, hop right over the state, mm-hmm. run to Tennessee, run to Texas. Little Rock, run to Texas. And we're getting jumped over, which drives you nuts, doesn't we, we it? We used to be one of the premier places to play. There were so right. many of the big British bands, because from what I found, the Brits really love New Orleans. That's one of their favorite places to visit sure. in America. And a lot of the big British bands would play here, along with a lot of the big American bands. 
I was going to say, too, these tickets were $5. And actually, right. if you brought carpet remnants in, hey, that would be a deal. They'd help you on could, the walls. Yes, mm-hmm. they sure. would. Because how many people fit in it all told? About 3,000 people. About 3,000 people. That. It was 3,000, but the interesting thing about the warehouse was that it had such a wide open space mm-hmm. that there were tables that you could actually go and sit at and see no all kidding. the biggest bands play. I mean, some of the shows, like The Who, when you see pictures from The Who show, it, They're all it's up. just shoulder to shoulder. Sure. But for a lot of those Allman Brothers shows, I guess people are like, hey, it's the Allman Brothers. They've been here so many times this year. You know, it's a little bit lighter every time they go. And you could go in and see the show, bring a picnic basket full of food, and sit down at a table. Isn't that amazing? They probably needed to sit down. Yeah, that's, that's, that's not going to come around again. That's Never not going to happen again. It's a part of New Orleans history, and uh, and you're talking about it. Allman Brothers, Black School. first break we're not going to play a song here but we have some facts some interesting things about the warehouse i want to go see it i want to go touch it i want to go take my picture in front of it i'm one of those people i have you know pictures of myself in front of everything can i go get my picture taken in front of the warehouse no you may not oh no did i tear it down they did they demolished it in um, 1989 is there anything i can get from it a brick. A brick. You can get a brick from it. <laughs> really? Yes. Where? Where? Uh, from blackstrat.net. Blackstrat. Uh, really? Yes. What you, you know you can buy a brick. I, you don't. What you should you have don't. said is, I can sell you a brick, Dr. Burns, and go buy a brick. Here, 20 bucks. I'm dumb enough to buy it from you. What else do you know? Tell um, me. They offered free shows in the park on Sundays, and that was either on Monkey Hill uh, or on the levee. Mm-hmm. And they where is that monkey hill as in in the zoo? Yes, mm-hmm. yeah. it is. Okay, yeah. so would the zoo be open, or did you have to pay to get into the zoo, and then they would present the the free concert? No, actually, no. It was it was just it at that time the park was set up differently. Yeah, so it was outside, and it was really because of the crowd control that they ended. Right. They stopped it. Because so many people went on Sunday, and that that just makes business sense. Mm-hmm. Six days a week, you pay to get in. And they're probably dark one day because their people have to have days off. But right. so five days a week, you know, we're going to make you pay. But one day a week, we're going to give it away. Right. And even if it is some little band that's just trying to cut their teeth, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. Oh, please listen to us. Yeah. And the band may even have played for nothing. Right. You know, we'll do anything. Just let us get in front of an audience. Even so, you know, it's free. Right. Think about that. Would you even get that today? You think a venue would do that today? No. I know Probably the not. I know the city pays for free music. Was it concerts in the park? I think it's every Wednesday during the summer. Something. But still, think about a venue doing that today. Right. House of Blues or something like that. Well, no, every Sunday all is free. about making money. Right. Yeah, it's a different thing. What else uh, do you know? 
And but they they didn't just give back by offering free music. They offer they sponsored a little league baseball team. Oh, how would you like to have been on <laughs> the fun? warehouse's baseball team? It's awesome. It's future it concert awesome. goers, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, they they did that. They also did. Um, they offer, sponsored men's and women's softball leagues uh, teams, and they hosted fundraisers for community groups. Perfect. Perfect. You know, do good in the community Mm -hmm. and people won't be upset. Where actually was it located? I was at 1820 Chapatulas. Okay. I'm trying to put Mm. that in my head. You went, hmm. So I'm guessing it's in the bestest of neighborhoods? Oh, absolutely. Oh, sure. I've seen concerts there. (laughs) Bring the kids. Actually, my brother ended up, he said he was a regular, but a couple times they got their cars broken into, so they actually bought a car so that they could just go to the warehouse. And when it broke down, they left it. (laughs) (laughs) We're not parking it. We're abandoning it. That's what we're doing. Oh, I love it. All right, let's take a break. Everyone's got to make a little bit of money on their own and uh, have their car broken into. Back in a minute on Rock School. All right, already at the bottom of the hour, because you're talking so much. Come on, kid. I love it. I know. Okay, we're talking the warehouse here on Rock School. I have to ask, this is a local venue, so locals had to have played. Am I right about yes, that? Yes, there was a year of the locals, but we got to go through 1973 first, because it is my kind of music. It is progressive rock. Okay. Uh, and the cool fact about the uh, warehouse was that, essentially... It chronicled what was popular in rock at that time, depending on the year that was being played. So mm-hmm. 1973, King Crimson goes and plays. Uh, yes played the year beforehand. Uh, Pink Floyd also played. Rush ends up playing later. We've got a little bit of them Good coming Lord, up. really? Of the big six progressive bands, four of them played at the warehouse. And it was beautiful because you start seeing the evolution of music being reflected in the warehouse at the time so people in new orleans were getting the freshest stuff yes actually plays at the warehouse two months before they even drop fragile so they're playing the yes album it's seminal moments in music history and almost every single big band has one within a few months of playing at the warehouse and you got to wonder if people understand that as it happens or is are these moments even noticeable until you see them in your rearview mirror? Right. I saw Yes two months before Fragile drops. Mm-hmm. You know you what I mean? didn't play a single song off of Fragile. Oh, it was didn't? the entire Yes album. Wow. About that. So I also see you have here that Pot Liquor played. That's a local band with Charlie mm-hmm. Daniels. And you have the Eagles opening for Charlie Daniels in 73. <laughs> so Eagles funny. opening for Charlie Daniels. That's It's hard to imagine. I mean, it, it's. No, it's not. Um, you know, the Eagles weren't the Eagles right. then. There's always that story, you know, of Jimi Hendrix opening for the Monkees. You know, he wasn't Jimi <laughs> Hendrix at that point in time. You know, it, it happens. So, okay, get us to 74. Right, so we are in 1974. This is the year that the local bands finally break into the warehouse this is the funkiest year in warehouse history and it's the funkiest year because in my opinion at least Mm -hmm. because the seminal new orleans album of all time drops Mm -hmm. right before this year starts it is in the right place dr john the meters alan toussaint 
all get together and put out this incredible album. So they have Dr. John playing. They have The Meters playing. Professor Longhair plays. The Wild Magnolias play. Olympia Brass Band plays. And they all come in in this year and make it one incredible spectacle. Essentially, all right, so you got to imagine where New Orleans music is at this point. The warehouse is a big deal, but... The music being played in the warehouse is not reflective of the general New Orleans music scene. It's, I can see it. It's rock. It's national. Right. Right. So at the time, New Orleans is like the one of the funk capitals of the world. The meters are taken off, and you've got Toussaint's work. So finally, the warehouse gives you a glimpse into what's going on locally because the bands finally got big enough that they deserved a spot alongside the biggest rock bands of their time. So it kind of tells you that New Orleans music in 1974 was big enough to be played alongside bands like ZZ Top and Crimson and you know, right. Allman Brothers mm-hmm. and what have you. Now, I know you're a bass player, and I know the meters mm-hmm. are special amongst place. your... Right, they hold a special place in your heart. So, we are playing the meters. What song? Well, if we're going to play the meters, yes. if no one's ever heard a meter song before, we got to give them the one that you have to know. Which is? Sissy Strut. I agree with you. Sounds like this on Rock School. Coming out of the meters here in Rock School, talking about the warehouse. Okay, who is the bassist for the meters? Um, George Porter, who is probably, along with Duck Dunn, my biggest influence on this. There you go. And Duck Dunn, obviously part of the Stacks. Uh, sure, sure, sure. Okay, I'm looking at this, and you've got it set up by years. I'm looking at 75 here, and you were talking about how that the playlist, I say playlist, but the people who played at the uh, at the warehouse seems to reflect 75. I'm looking at disco. I mean, it's, it's the middle <laughs> of disco time. Yeah, here comes the Ohio players, Kraftwerk. Grand Central I mean, Station. Yeah. I do uh, like the Ohio players. Uh, I'm 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 knocked out. They uh they did not have any concern turning it, you know, turning music to whatever was popular at the time. I could I could see somebody saying, No, I will only play rock. You know, forget disco, disco sucks. Well, they didn't care. You know, that's interesting because it, there's no definitive answer as to why the warehouse fell apart, but if you look at what happened, it's keeping current with music, but then eventually it starts kind of trying to go back to its old roots against the grain yeah, for whatever reason. And But this year was just really interesting. Like Kraftwerk coming in and playing in New Orleans, all the way from Germany. For people who don't know, Kraftwerk is kind of the godfather of electronic music. Sure, and like you say, they're a, they're a European band, and it's you either know them or you don't. They're not a. You know, they're not like. Well, here's ten hits from Kraftwerk. Like who's going to sit through twenty minutes of Audubon unless I, you actually dig it? I agree. Sure. So I mean, it, it's that old question of you know you own a place. Do you? play what the audience wants or do you say I'm going to educate the audience I mean which closes the doors it seems like it changes the audience completely well, that's, because that's you're sticking with you know classic rock classic rock well at the time rock yeah, mainstream rock. rock sure and then switch to that it's like, essentially a different generation though people if you start yeah. in 1970 a lot of those folks five years later they're married Exactly. If you start off and they're 20 years old, five years later they're getting married, they're considering so, having kids, so you've got a new generation you have to bring it's in. It's not a death wish, kid. It's no. not. All right. Take <laughs> us into... Can't convince me. Take us into 76. <laughs> Go ahead. So in 1976, uh, what, they start bringing in kind of a lot of the more legacy acts uh, coming through at the time. And Muddy Waters uh, actually was going on a pretty 
interesting tour at the time. In 1975, whenever you hear uh, Mojo working live, it's most likely from 1975. So he's going out and getting a lot of attention because bands like the Allman Brothers are mentioning him because the Rolling Stones are mentioning him. Right. And he's playing. And it's weird, too, because not only does Muddy Waters play that year, but these two little-known bands... By the name of Kiss yeah. and Sticks, right? Also right. drop in and get their start as well. They're opening bands for somebody else. Kiss wasn't selling. I know people think Kiss has always was always huge, but they had I think three albums out before and were ready to walk away from Casablanca until uh, Neil Bogart, the owner of Casablanca, said, "No, no, 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 no. I'll mortgage my house. We'll put out one more." album for you and that was Kiss Alive but the first Kiss albums were not selling spectacularly I don't know if that's a word or not but it wasn't till Kiss Alive that Kiss really became Kiss Kiss. and they were I mean they were touring machines they understood get out there and get in front of the people so the fact that they played the warehouse doesn't shake me at all I'm surprised they didn't play the warehouse and nine other places (laughs) in the city that night right down Bourbon that night you know and Sticks same thing Mm-hmm. You know, get on the hamster wheel. That's the that's the thing. So, what do you got from Muddy Waters? Got Muddy Waters. Got uh, my second favorite blues tune of all time. Yeah, got my mojo working. All right, you're killing me. You don't get to drop that and walk away. What's your first favorite blues? Born tune under a bad time? sign because of the stacks and in the MGs. Yeah, got it. But this is Muddy Waters here on Rock School. Okay, coming into the second break here on Rock School, and as much as we're praising the warehouse because of what it did, this idea that worked, and obviously they made money because it stayed open. Mm -hmm. I'm looking at the end of it. It comes to an end, 81-82. Okay, so what what happens? Why, Why does this idea die? Well, there's a couple of reasons. That first off, they started having trouble booking the bigger bands. Um, they started having a, a lower attendance in general coming in. They had a couple of accidents that also happened there. You hear from some folks there's something about a fire that happened at the warehouse. You hear about uh, mm-hmm. some of the crowds starting to get more unruly than they used to be. Because you got to think about it. This is like 1977, 78. Punk. Exactly. Punk comes in. Mm-hmm. Was it a place that just for a while was a nice, safe place to go, but once... You know, punk started coming in that people perceived it. Punk wasn't necessarily unsafe, but it, did it just get the perception of being an unsafe place with that music? You know, it's it, I, I couldn't really tell you on that one. I I just know that, that was one aspect of it because I know the neighborhood around it started getting worse. As okay, well. um, and also there was one aspect of it of when you look at what's actually happening it's a rock venue what was happening in rock and roll well you have all the old classic rock bands they're becoming legacy acts they're playing arenas and all the new bands coming in Mm -hmm. they're tailoring themselves to arenas you gotta think you know the, the rock band of the 80s Van Halen Cheap Trick these were arena style bands and the warehouse was just a little too small so you have the apex of like live concerts People wanted to play at, like, the Superdome. They didn't want to play at the warehouse. Okay. Because <laughs> so, God forbid you take that ladder, you know. <laughs> sure. So the bands that would play weren't around. The bands that would play might have frightened off a larger audience. And the area where it's located was turning more and more frightening to take your car into, to take a group of people into. So 
a series of factors. A series of factors, and the fact that this is kind of where rock in general starts becoming a little bit less popular than it was. Okay. So it just it simply collapsed under its own weight. So, yeah, a concern. Could it have kept going, do you think, had they simply changed into a different concept, a simple local band, or is it just being on Chapatulas? Because that's, that's way down right before you go across the Crescent City Connection. Mm-hmm. I mean... Are they just so far off the tourist area, they just couldn't become a New Orleans bar and just keep it going? Yeah, think about it. It wasn't started by people from New Orleans. It was started Mm -hmm. by people from out of town, from Chicago. And and the way I view it is, you know, when you've been on top for that long, do you really want to settle for a nice retirement package of being a local bar? Yeah. Close the doors and go away. So let's take a break. We'll come back and we'll wrap up what's happening with... uh, with the warehouse, and we'll then close out the doors. Back in a minute on Rocksville. All right, coming out of the break, 1978 at the warehouse, we're going to skip Bob Marley because you want to talk about New Orleans punk. So go ahead, where are we? Well, uh, 1978... Obviously, Marley goes in and plays, and he was the big band for 78. 78 wasn't too bad. It was kind of a revival, but you could still see there's fewer and fewer shows going on throughout it. And uh, you see bands like you know Tom Petty playing, and Foreigner playing, and Bachman Turner, yeah. Average White Band, and Patti Smith, kind of a harbinger of... Here comes the punk. Exactly. Of I've, seen, I've, never, punk. I've had this discussion with Ralph Wood a hundred times. I've never thought Patti Smith was punk. She was a <laughs> poet with a band to me. That's all she ever was to me. But he says she's punk, and he he knows so much more about it than I do. The so punk okay, consider her punk. Patty's punk. That's that's <laughs> it. Okay. So seventy nine. Now we're into the punk of New Orleans. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. And while there are other bands that play there, you know, Journey, Cheap Trick, Eddie Money, Palmer, Toto. Um, one band that really stands out that we have a recording from is a local New Orleans band called the Normals. Right. And. The interesting thing about New Orleans punk was that it didn't really take hold in the way it did in other cities. See, there's something about the culture in New Orleans that I guess maybe aggressive, angry music doesn't quite match the more chill vibe. We're we're an island unto ourselves. I've said this a thousand mm-hmm. times to anyone who would listen. Pick up the music of New Orleans, put it in any other city, would it work? No. Put it here, works like a dream. Right. We're we're literally a European city stuck in America. Mm-hmm. It's a different place. And it's it's brilliant because you see, you know, punk. Okay, first off, when you hear the song that plays, I consider it a good song, but it's going to sound really generic and sound exactly like that one other big punk band from America. Oh, I don't know who you're talking about. Uh, well, you Let's see you'll... if anyone else can pick it up. You want to <laughs> play them? Yeah, we got some of the normals with uh, Almost Ready. Right here on Rock School. <laughs> Okay, last break here on Rock School. One more student in front of a microphone. She has one very simple fact she wants to give us. Go ahead. First of all, I know you're sick. This is making you ill to your tummy. It scares you being in front of a microphone. Yes, I do not like this. As soon as you give this fact, I'll let you sit back down. First of all, what is your name? My name is Journey Jones. Okay, that is not the fact. No. Tell us the fact that you learned about the warehouse. Well, you know, I interviewed my stepdad last night who said he was a regular there at the warehouse. Okay. You know, he said you can bring in your own alcohol um, because they didn't have a liquor license at the warehouse. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, unless you're going to drink it straight, you have to get a uh, 7-Up. 
or a Coke. Right, because they didn't. They have did not Sprite. have Sprite at the warehouse. Why didn't they have Sprite? It was not yet invented. There you go. There's yeah. your fact. Now you Fun can walk fact away. Of the day. You can walk away from the microphone. Oh man, that makes people ill for some reason. Okay, moving along. All right, wrap up the warehouse. Close it up for us. So we're closing out. Uh, we're now in the 80s. It's 1980 to 1982. At this point, Arena Rock is taking over. The 80s music in general is mm-hmm. taking over. I mean, it, it's 1981. Uh, the number one and two song for that year is uh, Kim Carnes' Bette Davis Eyes. Yeah, Betty Davis Eyes. Betty Davis, Davis Eyes. Yeah. See, that's how little I know about 80s. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Diana Ross and Lionel Richie doing Endless Love. That's number one and two. This is not warehouse kind of music. That's no, it's not. really popular. Uh, and New Wave is also kicking in. You'll see that with a couple of the bands coming up. Uh, very few well-known bands actually play. And in fact, in 1982, the last year that the warehouse was open, only five shows actually happened. The entire year? The entire wow. year, only five shows. Oh, yeah. What was their closing date? Do you have the actual date? No, just agree with her. Just say no. I don't know. <laughs> no, I not, don't know. Not, not, not offhand. No. Okay. Now, the interesting thing though is, for me personally, I love the Clash, and I think it's kind of almost a wonderful uh, nostalgic moment for the warehouse because the only band that matters shows up and plays a show at the warehouse, mm-hmm. and that's kind of harkening back to those days when all the great British bands would come in and play at the warehouse, and this is right after. Combat Rock comes out, so Should I Stay or Should I Go, uh, Rock the Casbah, and a lot of incredible songs that they played, but they were not the last band to play there. In fact, the last band to play were the Talking Heads, Mm -hmm. and the last song that was ever played at the warehouse. Go ahead, actually, we have a date here. We do have a date. It's September 10th, 1982. Oh, okay. September 10th, 1982, last song being played at the warehouse, and this probably happened uh, September the 11th at this point in the night, was The Talking Heads with Cross-Eyed and Painless. That's too bad. Now, you have a little tiny clip. I do. Just about, what, 15, 20 seconds? It's about 15 seconds. The last 15 seconds of music ever played at the warehouse. Okay. So what we'll do is we'll play that and then right into The Talking Heads, the studio version of Cross-Eyed and Painless. So we'll play that, and that wraps up the warehouse, and that wraps up the show. So let's go around and give names. You two get stand up, and we'll have you all run to that microphone while you're doing that. I am Joe Burns. You are? Monique Gregoire. You are? Matt Doyle. You stayed on the mic a whole long time there, Matt Doyle. So let's go around right in the middle there. Marianne Sarkoff. And the one that didn't want to talk? Journey Jones. Very good. Nice nice grabbing of the microphone. I'm sure that sounded great. Go ahead. And you are? Amy Cullen. And that'll wrap it up. Warehouse. That does it. Glasses dismissed. Thank <laughs> you.